Amen. Amen. Just a reminder, next week is our uh, week of prayer. We'll be over in the youth room next Wednesday night. It happens to be the National Day of Prayer the following day, so we're going to kick it off early and uh, do some praying for our nation. So um, hopefully you can come next week. It's always a blessing when we pray together. All right. Well, tonight we're going to continue our survey of the Bible. We're going to look at the final two chapters of Second Chronicles. So turn with me to Second Chronicles 35. We began the study of Josiah last time, and uh, we learned that he was truly a reformer and that um, he began his rule as a king at age eight with a young and tender heart for the things of God. He led the the nation of Judah. Remember, we're, we're focusing on the, the southern two tribes uh, in Judah. And um, he led the nation into a revival, and they renovated the temple, uh, restoring order to the temple and the the true flow of worship and and how God intended it to be. Uh, he restored a reverence for the word of God. You remember that uh, they found the books of the law. They began to read them publicly and, and to draw attention to the importance of the word of God within the structure of the nation, within the worship of the nation, and, and really bringing that attention uh, to the validity of God's word for, for everyday life. And, you know, that's, that's something that we can never get away from. And we, we have to understand today how important the word of God is to us and how important it is for, for each one of us to center our own life on the word of God. Now, I, I can promise you as, as the pastor of this church, we're always going to center things on the word of God as, as we meet together. But, but that's not enough. Each of us have to make that personal decision to center our life around the Word of God. It's that important to us, and, and that comes through spending time and devotion and reading and, and asking the Lord for understanding of His Word and just staying at it. I mean, uh, I, I know people who've been Christians 60 years who are still in need of that daily devotional time with the Lord to keep their life centered on the Word of God. So so we saw that as a nation, and uh, it it that public reading brought order back to the nation, uh, brought that foundation of the word to God's people. And, and man, I hope we learn from what we've, what we've seen, how important it is for us to have that solid foundation in God's word. Now, this is where we left off last time. So we're going to pick up the narrative in, uh, in this next chapter, chapter 35. It says, now Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And he set priests in their duties and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. Then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions. 
following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son, and stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the father's house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourself and prepare them for your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Then Josiah gave lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for the Passover offerings for all who were present to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions, and the leaders gave willingly to the people, to to the priests, and to the Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, rulers of the house of God, Uh, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. Also, Keniah, his brother, uh, Shemiah, and Nathaniel, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Jezebed, chief of the Levites, gave to the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. So... A lot of reading. In many ways, King Josiah was following the example of Hezekiah in the way that he approached this revival. Uh, He began by cleansing the idolatry of the nation, repairing the temple and restoring worship and and celebrating this this great nationwide Passover in Jerusalem. In Leviticus 23, we're given several feasts that the Israelites were to celebrate, the Feast of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, while all of these appointed feasts were important in their own right and meaningful, the, the Feast of the Passover is especially noteworthy for the nation of Israel. The Passover is what reminded them of their national origin, so to speak, when when the Lord delivered them from Egypt and the bondage that they were in uh, under the hand of Pharaoh. And uh, this this was a, a, a manifestation of the grace and the power of God for this people whom he delivered and took to himself to make his own nation from this people. And so Hezekiah, you remember, celebrated this great Passover, but he did it during the second month. He wasn't prepared when it was supposed to be done. Well, Josiah celebrates it the first month. This is the actual intended month that the the Passover was supposed to take place. The, this Passover was, was even greater than the one celebrated in Hezekiah's time. Hezekiah's Passover uh, lasted two weeks, but Josiah's uh, Passover, the, the people offered almost twice as many sacrifices as they did during Hezekiah's time. Um, just, uh, you know, 37,000 small animals were offered, 3,800 bulls. The priests, Levites were, were ready. You remember, they weren't ready for, for Hezekiah's time, but they were ready 
and sanctified, ready to serve. And uh, there were many Levites who sang praises to the Lord, played instruments. And, and so Josiah, we see, is somebody who had read the law of the Lord and understood what was to be done and, and was in obedience to the word. And as this revival broke out, it, it sprung from an obedience to the word of God. And, and so, um, you know, I, I just continually, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, the revival that we're desiring as a, as a church, as a nation, I, I ask the Lord, give us a passion, Lord, for your word and an understanding of how it is that you want to interact with man. And, you know, when Josiah got that understanding and, and the word had, had set his feet on a solid foundation, he was able to bring this sweeping revival into the nation. And, and I, I just pray that the Lord would give us that passion for his word and that we wouldn't just take it in, but we would be doers of the word, that we would put it into practice in our daily lives. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, So the service was prepared, and the priests stood in their places and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. And they slaughtered Passover offerings, and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skinned animals. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers, the houses of the lay people, to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle, and they roasted the Passover offerings with fire according to the ordinances, and with other holy offerings they boiled in pots and cauldrons and in pans and divided them quickly among the lay people. Then afterwards they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, mercy... I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> Obviously, the Lord wanted to accent that um, in his word. <laughs> then afterwards, they prepared portions for themselves and the priests because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in offering, burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests and the sons of Aaron. So this, uh, the service was prepared and uh, they were ready to do things the way the Lord had instructed. The, the instructions came through the writings of Moses. They understood what needed to be done. And, and so they, they brought things into play, into this, this sacrifice, the way the Lord had given instruction. It seems that on this Passover, the sacrifices were all directly made by the priests themselves. They didn't allow for the heads of household to bring and, and make the sacrifices. The, the priests did it. Even in Hezekiah's day, both the priests and the head of households made sacrifices. But strictly adhering to the priests now, doing the sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people of God. Why is that so important that 
that they brought it back to adhere to what God had instructed. Well, the picture that is being drawn for all mankind is how the sacrifices were to be conducted, and, and it was essential that they did it in this way. Remember, there's, there's all kinds of typology in the Old Testament, and, and it's a foreshadow of something that, that was going to be shown to us in, in the New Testament, in the fulfillment of the New Testament. Well, this is one of those areas of typology. Um, this pointed to Jesus as being the lamb that was going to take away the sin of the world. He was, uh, remember the words of John the Baptist when he, he launched the ministry of the gospel in John chapter 1, verse 29. says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember when Philip was uh, on the road with the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, verses 32 to 36, the, the Ethiopian was reading out of Isaiah 53, and it says, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a, and a, as a lamb before the shearer silent, and he opened not his mouth, and humiliation and justice was taken away. And who will declare... And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does the prophet say this of himself or another man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And and so he, he was showing him the typology that was in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who is going to take away the sin of the world. And so by Josiah getting this Passover right and biblical, he was setting the correct model for us to be able to see how this typology works. He, he was preparing the, the future presentation of Jesus as the Lamb of God who's going to take away your sin and my sin, the sin of the world. Those who will come under his blood as the Israelites came under the, the blood of the lamb in Egypt, uh, we, we see the angel of death pass over them. Those who are under the blood of Christ have the promise that, that we will escape death, and, and because of his blood, that death will pass over us as well, and we'll have eternal life. We'll live forever in the Lord. And, and so the barrier that separates man from God is sin, is sin. Our sin is washed away by the blood of the Lamb who was slain for us. So, so once again, we have this amazing foreshadow of salvation as we look at the worship taking place in the nation of Judah, them observing this Passover feast and, and, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for men like Josiah who got it right, who were able to cast that, that foreshadow and preserve in the word of God that, that message that would point to Jesus so that I could know tonight that under his blood that I have been saved, that I have been uh, granted eternal life because of the blood of Christ. And, and it's because 
of his faithfulness and his faithfulness to adhere to the word of God and to cast that, that forward vision. In verse 15, he goes on, And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jedithan, the king's seer. Also, the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. And so all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and offer the burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel kept such a Passover as Josiah kept. And with the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and with the inhabitants of Jerusalem, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. So there's nothing in the the law per se that mandated worship during this service of the Passover. Josiah therefore went beyond the commandment and uh, to to make an especially meaningful and and memorable Passover for this occasion. Uh, they, They were compelled by the goodness of God as they were experiencing this Passover meal. They were remembering the goodness of God who delivered them as a nation, who who made them his people, his own chosen people. And as, as they were celebrating this Passover, this worship came out of that, that gratitude and that, that just desiring to express their worship to God for all he had done for them. That they were compelled by the goodness of God to worship him. It's such a natural response when, when we are aware of the goodness of God, when, when we take the time to recognize how much God has loved us, what he has done for us, and, and all that he has done to save us from ourselves, the natural response to that is to worship. It's to exalt his name. It's to, it's to give praise and adoration for his goodness. And so like the sons of Asaph and, and, and those who were the, the worship leaders of that day, they, they busted out into song and worship to the Lord. And, and because of that, there was no Passover like that in the, in the nation since the days of Samuel. I mean, this was a great celebration. What a great celebration to be a part of. And, and so... You know, I would encourage you as, you know, in your own personal time with the Lord, when you recognize his goodness, you recognize what he has done for you, that you will break out in worship. You know, it's okay. You don't have to wait to get here to sing to the Lord. You can break out in song. I've been on the freeway just singing away and people looking at me thinking, that guy is insane. What is he doing over there? But, you know, the Lord is good. And sometimes he's just revealing that when you're driving down the street. So bust loose. Uh, Man, the shower. Everybody sings in the shower, right? 
Bust loose. Let go of that praise. All right, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against uh, Carchemish by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God, and so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So what's going on here with, with King Nico of Egypt? Well, this was actually good counsel that was coming from a pagan king. It, it was counsel that, that he should have heeded. And, and so that, that begs the question, can the Lord use a pagan king to actually speak truth? Well, if you turn with me over to John chapter 11, pick it up in verse 45. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So they were, they were fearful that if, if people actually started following Jesus, that that would cause a conflict with Rome. And, and, and so they were trying to figure out how they could just get Jesus out of the way. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that is, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for that nation but also that he would gather together in one of the children of God who were scattered abroad. And, and so we see Caiaphas, who wasn't really following the Lord the way we would expect a religious leader to follow the Lord. They were looking for their own interests and how they could be spared from Rome's heavy fist and looking for a way to do away with Jesus well, in his statement, the Lord gave him words that were prophetic that spoke about Jesus dying for the sins of all mankind. And, and so um, it is possible for the Lord to use somebody who is not even seeking after him to speak. And, and so just like Caiaphas, King Nico speaks a prophetic word to Josiah and he misses it. He doesn't, he doesn't hear it as a, a prophetic word. G. Campbell Morgan says this, Josiah's, Josiah was in sin because his attack against Egypt was in support of the Assyrian Empire. 
and he had no business supporting the Assyrian Empire. The only reason for doing so must have been some supposed political advantage. Against that kind of action, the prophets were constantly warning the kings. A word claiming to be from God forbidding what was already forbidden had the weight of moral appeal almost amounting to certainty. And and so if if he would have took the time to listen to what the king was saying, it was aligning with prophetic words that had already been given by the prophets. So if he would have took time to pause and wait on the Lord and give the Lord a chance to, to confirm this in his heart through the prophetic word that had already been given, then he wouldn't have he wouldn't have entered into this battle and uh you know this this is a great lesson for us. The lesson would be that you know what we need to take time to consult the lord and and to wait on the Lord for an answer and to hear his voice before we just venture into something uh, as we're going to see, he goes to battle in it, and it costs him his life verse twenty three And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in his second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and so he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his father. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all men, all, all the singing men and singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel. Indeed, they, they are written in, in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from the first to the last, indeed, they are written in the kings of Israel and Judah. So, the consequences of not seeking the Lord and and waiting for the Lord to confirm in his heart uh, what was being said. He was shot and wounded. Uh, we could admire his bravery, and and yet uh, we still can't miss the message of his foolishness at this point. Uh, it ended up this this injury cost him his life, and and so um, there are consequences if if we you know he, he was a good king. I mean, he basically from from eight years old until this point, he followed after the Lord. He led the nation well, and this moment of indecision or. Uh, impulse or even a political decision as opposed to a godly decision, the consequence was is that he took an arrow and it cost him his life. Now, all in all, you look at the life of Josiah and he's remembered for his faithfulness to the Lord. He's remembered for the reforms that he brought to Judah. He's... uh he, he was remembered as they sang these songs of lamentation about him. And so, so the overall influence of his life was, was good. I mean, he, he was one of the, the best kings that, that Judah had. And um, it, it shows that the predominant part of his life was lived in faithfulness to the Lord. And, and that's, 
the way history remembers him. You know, I know that I've failed from time to time, and uh, in my life, even my life in the Lord, you know, I've made mistakes and failures, and but my constant prayer is that I can finish well, you know, that I can finish well, and that the the legacy that is left behind for the people that the Lord has allowed me to lead would be that this is a man who loved God and followed God all the days of his life, even though there were some hiccups along the road, you know. But I, I hope that's the predominant. I, I would, I would uh, hope that you would have that same prayer that, that, you know, the legacy of your life, the overall impact of your life would be that it, it shows the love of God and the goodness of God and your heart for God. Lord, may it be so in your sight and in the sight of the people you give us to lead. What what a great prayer for any leader to pray, whether you're a leader in the church, leader in the home, a leader in the nation. That That's a great prayer to to really put before the Lord. Lord, I want to finish well. I want to honor you with my life and leave that legacy of faith in your wake. All right, the last chapter, verse, or chapter 36, verse 1. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then the king of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. And so we see the, the reforms of Josiah didn't last very long. The very next king it all started to collapse again, and uh, Jehoahaz only reigns three months and does evil in the sight of the Lord. And Pharaoh Necho puts him under tribute, imprisons him, and installs Jehoiakim, his brother, as king. It doesn't take long for things to just go right back to where they were. In verse 5, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some articles from the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did, uh, and what was found against him, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. These guys are real creative with names. Um, so Je- Jehoiakim is nothing more than a, a puppet who serves as a vassal to the to Egypt another king who fails to lead in godliness and does evil, uh, just like the past kings have done. And Judah had had so much potential 
as they they came through the reign of Josiah, they were they were back to the temple worship. They were back with their hearts right before God. They had so much potential to go forward, and yet you see how easily that heritage is squandered with poor leaders leading the nation. And and so we, I hope we can learn valuable lessons from Judah and keep our our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus at all times. And may we worship God and follow after his ways, choosing obedience over selfishness. I mean, it's it's a quick trip down. I mean, we, we see how fast things fall apart. You know, I've often described the, the Christian life as, uh, you know, trying to climb a grease pole. I mean, you're, you're either climbing or you're sliding. You're not going to ever just tread, you know, halfway up the pole. And and so we we always have to be constant in our pursuit of the Lord. We have to continually walk in the ways of of the Lord and put his his ways before our ways because if we if we get comfortable and we stop then it's a quick trip down. It, it doesn't take long for things to dissolve in our spiritual life. Now Nebuchadnezzar intended to um bring him in back to Babylon in bronze fetters. But Jeremiah 22, 19 tells us that that he would uh, be disgracefully buried outside of Jerusalem. So we see here that Babylon rises to the place of world power. Egypt was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, and Babylon is becoming this, this powerful empire. And And now, who is this son of Jehoiakim. He's named Jehoiachin, but he also has a different name in other places in the scripture. He's also referred to as Jeconiah, and he's also referred to as Kaniah. Uh, all three of them are the same person. It's just different references, reference a different name for him. In, in, um, in all of these places, though, he's the same guy with the same problems. In verse 9, it says, Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. So three short months he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That sounds familiar, right? Many of the kings were defined this way, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. When we look at Jeremiah's prophecy, though, we see a little darker picture, a little definition to this. So turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 22. We'll pick it up in verse 24. As I live, says the Lord, though Kaniah, this is Jehoiachin, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. Even though uh, Judah was special to the Lord, he was the signet, it was a signet ring. He says, and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those 
whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. Why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because of the evil intent of his heart. Even in that short time, that there was so much evil in Kaniah's heart or Jehoiachin's heart that the, the Lord had been patient with Judah, all of the ups and downs throughout the history of this nation, and now judgment is going to come on the nation. This, this final judgment where they're going to be pulled into captivity in, in, under the, the Babylonian rule. And he goes on, he says, So I will cast you out and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But the land to which they desire to return, there shall be, uh, they, they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which there is no pleasure? So he's, he's zeroing in on this particular man as being the reason that the nation is, is coming under judgment at this point. Um, one, <laughs> this, this broken vessel, one commentator equates that to a broken toilet is kind of the description. Why are they cast out? He continues, why are they cast out? He and his descendants cast into the land that they do not know. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So, He's not literally childless, but he's going to be treated as he's childless as far as the throne is concerned. And and this was a, a unique and a powerful curse on the the bloodline of Jeconiah or Kaniah. Um, God promised that no blood descendant, descendant of Jeconiah would uh, rule or reign over Judah. And and this this is an interesting thing when you come to the New Testament. If you look at the genealogies that are in Matthew and the and and in Luke, you'll notice that they're different in in the way that they come through the lineage to Jesus. Um, Matthew records the the genealogy of Joseph, the husband of Mary. He began at Abraham and followed the line down to Jesus through Joseph, going through Jeconiah's line. But Joseph was not his bloodline. Jesus didn't come through the blood of Joseph. Joseph, it was the Holy Spirit that impregnated Mary. So, so he had the king's line through that genealogy listed in Matthew. But Luke records the genealogy of Mary, and he began with Jesus and followed the line back up all the way to Adam, starting with Mary, his blood relative, and it does not go through the line of Jeconiah because God stopped that line at this point as we're reading in, in Chronicles. And so um, Luke traces that parental line through Nathan, the son of David, and not through Solomon. Uh, remember, the, the seed of the woman was the prophetic seed. And, and so 
That's where our Savior comes from. So, he's cut off from having an heir to the throne because of his wickedness in just these three months. So it must have been something pretty significantly wicked that that he was involved in, because there's been some really bad kings, and and we're not privy to know what it is, but but there was something wicked enough for God to just cut it off right there and say that we're going to treat you as childless, and there's no uh, no one going to reign on the throne after you. So continuing in verse eleven, Zedekiah was twenty one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. So this. This is not the son of Kaniah. The line was cut off. This is the uncle of Jehoiakim, or Kaniah. He, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by oath, by an oath, or swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against the uh, against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests, the people, and the people transgressed more and more according to the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So Zedekiah doesn't improve the line of kings at all. Uh, you, you would think that this threat of captivity and being subject to the the Babylonian kingdom would have been enough to get his attention and to have uh, his nephew cut off the way he was cut off. You would think that would be enough that this guy would say, man, I better, I better follow the Lord, you know, but it wasn't. It wasn't sobering enough. And so... The, the discipline he saw wasn't enough. It, it didn't have an effect on him at all. Interesting note that the, the pressure, trials in life that, that we face will do one of two things to a person. It'll either soften you or it'll harden you. I mean, it, it can have either effect on your life. It will either draw you to God or drive you farther away from the Lord. You can truly never be the same after you've experienced trouble or suffering. You've heard the statement, the the sun will soften wax and the same sun will harden clay. It's the same uh, same sun that softens one and hardens the other. Our reaction to the Lord, our desire... For him and what we face will determine the outcome. What is it that you're going through right now? Does it seem overwhelming that you're in this place and you're you're contending with the things that you're contending with? How much better would it be if it drove you to the foot of the cross and just to cry out to the Lord instead of away from Him in despair and in your own strength. See, I, I know that I'm a work in progress in this area. I think our nature is to complain. <laughs> when when things get heavy, we, we tend to just kind of immediately start to vomit out our frustration and complain about the situation. And then, 
we we realize how much we need the Lord. My my constant prayer when when I'm facing difficulty is, Lord, let this shape in me what you want to shape in me. Instead of feeling the weight and just feeling like you can't go on. I, I so much want to be a reflection of him when I'm going through difficulty. And I, I believe this is another aspect of our Christian life that, that shows our great need for fellowship. You know, when we are experiencing difficulty, we're experiencing difficult times, we need to be around believers. We need to be around people who can stir us up into love. And, and you know, familiar text in, in Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And, you know, so often when things get difficult, people pull away from fellowship, and they kind of recluse, and they go they go back into, you know, their own personal space, and and those are the times we need to press into one another and to be able to stimulate that love and, and, and encouragement and building one another up in our faith. You know, so often it's been a, a brother in the Lord who shows up in a time of trial or difficulty and uh, a brother encourages me and and maybe encourage me how the Lord wants to, to show up in my situation or maybe even show off in my situation. Well, Zedekiah didn't draw close to the Lord and that captivity took place. Instead, he, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he, he was unrepentant and he failed to restrain the leaders and the, the priests from defiling the temple and, and bringing the idolatrous practices in. In verse 15, he goes on and says, And the, Lord's, the Lord God of their fathers sent warning to them by the messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people until... There was no remedy. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young men or virgin, uh, on aged or weak. He gave them all into his hand. And, and so once again, we see the, the mercy of God, this merciful uh, desire to reach the people and to warn them about what was coming. To, to tell them, look, you don't have to go through this. And he sent many warnings, but they rejected them. But we see the, the greatness of his compassion toward the people uh, expressed in that, that he rose them up early to send the messengers in to be able to speak truth about what was coming. And this, this is one of the characteristics that grabs my heart and makes me want to love the Lord even more. He's so patient with me, even warns me of the dangers of rebellion and going against him. Well, they mocked his messengers. They scoffed 
against him until he poured out his discipline. No escaping it. They earned the discipline. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And, and so the, the Lord was disciplining them for their actions. You know, as a father, I could say discipline was my least favorite part of parenting. I, I did not enjoy disciplining my kids. But I did it because I loved them and I wanted them to follow after the Lord. But I didn't look forward to it. And that's the, the picture we need to have of, of the Lord. We don't want to distort our view and to have, you know, a view of God standing there waiting to nail us. But he will discipline because he loves us. And so we need to to look for those messages that he sends, the warnings that he sends, and and turn before the discipline has to come. I mean, one of his characteristics is long-suffering. I mean, he he usually gives us a little bit of space to figure, figure it out. Man, when he sends warnings, turn, repent. Verse 18, And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king of all the leaders, all, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, destroyed all its precious possessions, and those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord from the mouth of Jeremiah until the land they had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. So they they rejected the, the messengers and, and so they were turned over to the Babylonians and were taken into captivity uh, they learned nothing from the northern tribes when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Uh, they took all the articles of the house of God and brought them, uh, brought about this great destruction. Everything was torn down. Nothing was spared. The temple was burned. Uh, this this was the end of Solomon's temple. It stays in ruins for many years to come. What a picture of the Christian life when we fail to heed God's warning. We reject His goodness and His merciful attempts to reach us and we walk away. The Christian who chooses to walk away will have their life ruined. Similar to the burned out temple, only a shell of the life of joy that they experience in the Lord. No fruit, from the life who rejects the Lord. Spiritual life is blackened. It's damaged fruit. What a sad place to be. But so many go that direction. They give up the joy and a life that they experience in the Lord for a lie. And they're ready to settle for captivity for a few pleasures. And we end with this. Verse 22. 
Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says King Cyrus, or Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And and so he gave Cyrus, the king of Persia, a sense of urgency about this. And uh, the the relief from exile is granted from the very first year of his reign, as we're going to see. Um, he gives this decree to Ezra and the Babylonian captives right uh, the right to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple in 538 B.C. And we're going to see that as we move into uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. What a what a blessed time to be able to study those books in the weeks ahead. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we're so, so blessed to um, be able to witness the, the faithfulness of Josiah and and to see the many blessings associated with following after you and to follow following after your ways lord may we pattern our lives with that pattern lord would we lord be a people who desire to honor you and lord to leave that legacy of faith when we depart this earth lord what a what a blessing to be able to honor you in such a way that people will know that you are the God of Israel and the God of this nation as well, Lord. I pray that you'd give us that that fruit from our lives. Help us to not be like these final kings that rejected warning after warning. Lord, we don't want to live in captivity. We want to live free in you, Lord. God, help it to be so, we pray in Jesus' name.